following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning. Uh, one quick announcement before we start uh, in, the, in the Word. Um, We've been uh, hoping to organize a prayer group to meet on uh, Sunday mornings before the service, and Cindy has agreed to lead that group. And um, so, if you're interested, we would love to have. Where is Cindy? Yes, Cindy, where? There she is, right here. Uh, if you have questions, you can talk to her. Uh, otherwise, just come. It'll be in the back of the sanctuary here at at nine in the morning. And you know, prayer is uh, important uh, for a lot of reasons, but maybe most fundamentally, because it's, it's how we prove that we're depending on God. And uh, so uh, that as we, as we worship, as we gather on Sunday morning, we want to do it in a spirit of depending on Him. So uh, we would encourage you to come, pray for the service, pray for each other, uh, pray that uh, Christ would move in our time together. All right, let's uh, look at uh, the last of Numbers, um, Christmas, but we're going to finish up Numbers, and then next week we'll be looking at the Christmas stories in Matthew. Uh, but we're going to start uh, today looking at Numbers, actually the end of chapter 33, starting at verse 50, uh, through the end of Numbers, chapter th- uh, 36. I'm not going to read it all, um, but we're going to le- read some sections of it here. So let's look at God's Word. Numbers 33, beginning in verse 50. Uh, The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your clans. To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Wherever the lot falls for anyone, that shall be his. According to the tribes of your fathers you shall inherit. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, Then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. And I will do to you as I thought to do to them. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you for an inheritance. The land of Canaan as defined by its borders. And... uh, I'm not going to read all of its borders, but jump down to uh, verse 13. Moses commanded the people of Israel, saying, This is the land that, that you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half-tribe. For the tribe of the people of Reuben, uh, by father's house, and by the tribe of the people of Gad, by their father's house, uh, houses, have received their inheritance, and also the half-tribe of Manasseh. The two and a half tribes have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, towards sunrise. We'll stop there. We'll read some more in a minute. Um, 
the, the overwhelming theme of these chapters is uh, the idea of inheritance. So that's the, 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 the message, the title this morning, Claiming Our Inheritance. Right? Uh, in fact, the term inheritance is used over 30 times in these three chapters, uh, and, and it's a huge theme. Uh, God had saved the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, uh, and he led them to the land of promise where he was going to give it to them as an inheritance. Now, we, nem- we, we typically use the word inheritance to describe land or property or assets that are passed on to the next generation when, when, uh, when we die. Or we maybe received inheritance when our parents or grandparents uh, died. Of course, um, the, the word can mean that. And in Hebrew, the, the, the verb basically signifies giving or receiving property, which is a, a part of a permanent possession often as a result of succession, but not always. And of course, when the inheritance comes from God, if, we, if, we, if it's required that he dies before we get it, we would wait a really long time, right? So when, it, when, when God's giving an inheritance, it can't be something dependent on succession. In other words, you know, he has to die first and then he can pass it off to us because that would never happen, of course. Um, but it has this idea of a permanent possession, And so that's the idea used here. God is giving them this land as a permanent possession uh, that he was bestowing on them. And of course, for them, it would be an inheritance that they would pass on from generation to generation. Um, uh, And so the the really question comes up, and the reason this is important at the end of Numbers is, uh, uh, and as these instructions get unfolded, is what what do they need to do to, to claim this inheritance? Uh, what is their role? What is their part in taking possession of, of this inheritance? Uh, God is giving to it to them, but is, is there something that's required of them to, to take hold of it? And it's an important question because, as we've seen, the book of Numbers is laid out. Uh, first ten chapters, uh, uh, the, the first generation, the first generation of the Exodus, uh, prepared to, to march in and take possession of this inheritance. And uh, God prepares them, God lays out their camp, God um, establishes them with his own presence in the very center of the camp, and they march out. But in the middle section of the book, we see that that generation failed to take the inheritance that God gave them. Uh, They were stubborn, rebellious, grumbling, and complaining people who, because of their refusal to trust God and believe him, missed out on claiming what God had given to them. So they... Uh, they did not take possession uh, of really any of the promised land, and, and they all died in the wilderness. So then the last uh, section of the book from about chapter 27 to the end focuses on the second generation. Would they be any better at this? Would they be any more successful at, at taking possession of what God had given them? Uh, it's interesting, this, uh, uh, this section is marked off by the daughters of Zelophe, Zelo. The daughters of this guy, whose name starts with a Z, who I can't pronounce. That's why I skipped the list of names. Right? Um, uh, so it's, this, it's about this, the second generation. Um, what must they do? How can they make sure that they claim the inheritance that's theirs? Now this may seem to, to us a bit of an irrelevant question. Uh, living in the church age, when we, uh, uh, we don't have the promise of land. God never promised to the New Testament church that, that he would give us a piece of property. Uh, I would like that because I am pretty much landless and homeless. Uh, 
in terms of something that I could own and pass on. Um, but, but God didn't promise that to his church and to this age. That was a, a unique and specific promise to Israel that they would have the promised land. So we may think, well, this is kind of irrelevant for us. But the reality is that we have maybe not been promised land, but we have been promised an inheritance. And actually, our inheritance is greater than theirs. And uh, they were inheriting a kingdom of, of Israel, Palestine or Canaan, would become for them a kingdom with a uh, earthly king and, a, and real property. Uh, but we have been promised uh, heirs of the kingdom of God. Colossians 1, 12 through 14 puts it this way. Uh, give thanks to the Father, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right, so our inheritance is the kingdom of the Son. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, which is our eternal inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 puts it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Right, so we get this, this inheritance that's imperishable. Um, and the Israelites uh, eventually did lose the land. And it's, 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 it was permanent to them, but not eternal. We receive an inheritance that's eternal, that's part of uh, as residence in God's eternal spiritual kingdom. Uh, it's being guarded, kept for us, um, for uh, its unveiling, full unveiling in Jesus' return. Um, so it's a, a kingdom that we, we mostly look forward to, uh, but some of its benefits uh, come to us here and now. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so, so we need to, to get the, the, the picture of what's happening here and how it relates to us. Uh, it's important for us to see um, how the, uh, the, uh, the account of Israel from the Exodus to the in, inheritance is an example for us. Right? They were uh, brought out of Egypt and brought to a land of promise. But it's important to see how the Exodus and the inheritance differ. Okay, they didn't operate on the same wavelength or the same principle. Uh, and it's instructive for us as people who are also looking forward to our inheritance. Um, if you go back all the way to, to Exodus, um, which we started this journey in Exodus, I don't know, a while back you were here, um, Remember uh, the account in Exodus, God rescued the people out of bondage and slavery in, in Egypt, uh, really completely by his own doing. Right? The Israelites really had no part in what happened in the Exodus. Uh, God sent Moses, and Moses performed these uh, miraculous signs and wonders, and meaning, meaning Moses said, look, let my people go, and if you don't, bad things are going to happen. Uh, and Moses was, in one sense, the agent of it, but really it was God working, sending these plagues of locusts and darkness and, and, and flies and frogs and just horrible things, right? And God in his sovereign power uh, saved and rescued Israel. The only thing that they ever did 
uh, as, a, as, a, as a community, was to slaughter the Passover lamb and paint its blood on the doorposts. That was their act of faith. And when the death angel came in the last and final plague, it passed over their homes when it saw the blood. Right? And at, at that, uh, Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go. So uh, it would be very fair to say that God saved the people from slavery and bondage in Egypt completely by his own doing. Right? There was nothing they did other than to be spectators to watch as God worked and moved and brought about their rescue from slavery, their salvation. Uh, but as we'll see in these chapters, uh, the inheritance works very differently. Right? As they were going to be going into the promised land and taking possession of this inheritance, this land that God was giving them, they now have a much greater role as active participants in the process. Right? We just read these instructions. They are to drive out the nations. They are to destroy the idols in the high places. They are to divide the land. They are to set apart cities. Right? They have a role. So unlike the Exodus where they just stood back and sat as spectators watching it all happen, now it's very much up to them. Now, of course, it wasn't something they would do by their own power or strength. Uh, they would only do it through God's power. Uh, and God himself would have to drive out the nations before them. But, but now it would work this way. God would not just magically do it without their active role and participation. And that's where the first generation failed, right? They would have been okay if they would have got up to the promised side and said, okay, God, you drive them out, and when it's all done, then we'll enter. But that's not how it worked, right? God says, you need to go in, and you need to fight these battles, and I will go before you, and I guarantee your victory and success. But I will only go as you step and take possession of the land step by step. And of course, they could not do that, or they refused to do it, and so they missed out on their inheritance. So this generation, if they were to take possession of the land, needed to step out in faith and act and work and obey and follow God's instructions. So it is with us in our, our salvation, our great redemption, our exodus, if you will, from bondage to sin and death was accomplished fully and completely by Jesus on the cross. Right? There's nothing we do to contribute to what Jesus did to save us. Right? There's nothing we can do to add to his finished work on the cross. It was complete. And everything that Jesus did through his death and suffering and through his resurrection by his blood brings about our full forgiveness of sins. Right, so we don't need to crawl up Mount Doisutep on our hands and knees to somehow, you know, add that extra bit that was missing in Jesus' death. It's, it's enough. And everything that Jesus did was complete and full to secure for us full salvation. We have been brought out of bondage to sin and death and its slavery and its captivity over our life. But just like the Israelites, uh, taking possession of the inheritance that lies ahead becoming full residents in the kingdom and participants, participants of God's blessing is a very different matter. It is something that we must, as the Israelites did, claim through our own active participation of faith. Um, it is still a work that God accomplishes through the power of the cross, as we'll see. Uh, but, but we have a part in the process. Right? So, so here's the reality. Uh, if you are saved, all people are saved equally. 
There's no such thing as being kind of half saved or partly saved, right? Like if you were in Christ, you were in Christ. You were saved. You have eternal life. But the truth is that not everybody will experience uh, and receive the same inheritance. Scripture is very clear that it's up to us how much of his promises we take hold of and what future treasures and rewards uh, wait for us, right? Now, maybe some people are okay with just being saved, right? But I don't know about you, but I want the whole deal, right? I don't want to get to heaven and find out that there were a lot, there was a lot stored up for me that God promised that I missed out on because I was not willing, like the first generation of Israelites, to step out in faith and lay hold of the inheritance that God had for me. So let's look in these chapters and see four ways um, and, and this is not exhaustive, but four ways that we can con- uh, claim our inheritance in Christ. Four things that we do to be active participants in, in, in claiming our inheritance. First one is we have to, we are responsible to be driving out every enemy. Right? God told them, uh, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you pass over into Jordan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land. Um, the Canaanites who lived there. And you shall destroy all their figured stones, all their, all their idol images, all their metal images, and all their high places of worship. This is something that they had to do. Um, uh, in, in order for them to take possession, verse 53, and you shall take possession of the land and settle in it. Interestingly, if you want to know some Hebrew, I won't give you the, the whole scoop here, but interestingly, the word drive out and the word take possession is the same word in Hebrew. And it has the idea that the way you take possession of something is by dispossessing those people who live there. Right? So, so it's kind of like you, you buy a house, but there's people living in the house who refuse to leave. And so before you can move in, you have to move them out. Right? And that's exactly what the picture was here. Uh, for them to take possession of the land, they had to remove, dispossess, and drive out those who live there. Um, again, we talked about this a little, uh, and I don't just don't have time to go into all the arguments of why it was okay for God to do this. And it seems to me maybe a little unfair that the Israelites would uh, kick out the Canaanites. Uh, but just a reminder that God had actually made this promise to Abraham 430 years earlier. Right? And one of the reasons that God waited 400 plus years to fulfill his promises, it says in Scripture that he was waiting for the wickedness in Canaan to reach its fullness. Right? Meaning, you know, God was not quick to pass judgment on the Canaanites. He gave them lots of chances. But they grew more entrenched in their, in their wickedness and in their worship of idols and turning away from God. And, and so God was just in judging them. In fact, God would have been also just in judging Israel. It wasn't that Israel was better. It wasn't that uh, Israel had proved to be this very godly nation. Right? We just get this whole book of their rebellion and their hard-heartedness. Right? It was a gift of God's grace that he gave them this land. But it was right and just of God to judge the Canaanites for their sin and to uh, uh, chase them out of this land. Um, this passage ends by saying, um, uh, if you do not dispossess them, if you don't drive them out, if you do not dispossess them as the inhabitants of the land, then those of whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. 
They shall be trouble to you in the land where you dwell. And of course, we know the reality is uh, the Israelites d- did not do a very good job driving out the nations before them. And they did not destroy all of their places of, uh, of worship and all of their idols. And it became very much to them uh, a thorn in their eye, uh, a barb in their eye and a thorn in their side. Now, I don't know what a barb in the eye is. It just sounds really painful, though. I don't even want to like go there very far. Um, and it seems like the kind of thing that could cause blindness, right? So I don't, I don't know about the barb in the eye. I won't talk about that one. But I do know about thorns. Uh, they can be very painful. If you ever had a thorn, uh, it's, uh, they hurt. Uh, this past summer, I was back in, in the States, and I'd get back there and I was digging out uh, some my clothes and and stuff there, and I came across some boots that I needed, so I dug out the boots, and I noticed they were a bit dirty, so I was rubbing them off to get the what I thought was grass. Well, I ran my hand across it. It wasn't grass. It was apparently I had walked through some cactus, and it was cactus thorns, and I drove one of these about a quarter of an inch straight into my thumb, and it really hurt. And so it broke off, and it's sticking out, and so I thought, well, no big deal. I'll just pull it out. So I started to pull it. Well, it, it was barbed which meant the harder I pulled, the more it actually drove it into my thumb until it finally broke off inside my thumb. I'm thinking, oh, crud, because it really hurt, and I couldn't get to it. And I'm getting out my knife, and I'm trying to pry in there, and I mean, I cannot get this thing out. And uh, I probably should have gone to a doctor, but I, I didn't. I didn't want to spend any money. And I thought, oh, it'll, it'll solve itself somehow, some way. But it hurt. I mean, it hurt, and it hurt for weeks and it took about a month for that thing to finally, I won't go into all the details because it's pretty gross, but um, it did finally come out, right? Well, that's what, that's what God says they would be. And that's exactly what happened because they were not willing to deal with um, the, this idolatrous nation because they did not fight the battles they needed to to drive them out before them. They never really fully possessed the land. And the land... For them, their neighbors, these godless neighbors, became a huge temptation to them. And they were drawn repeatedly to worship their false gods. It may not seem like a temptation to us, but it was a huge temptation to them. And in the end, it, 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 he says, I will do to you as, as I thought to do to them. And that's exactly what happened. And eventually, uh, both the northern and southern kingdoms of, of the Israelites were exiled to Assyria and Babylon because they did not dispossess the idolatry from the land. Um, you know, we too have a resident evil living in us. And just like the Israelites, our salvation kind uh, of happens for us at two levels. Uh, first off, through the power of the cross and through his blood, um, we, we are saved, Right? Romans 6.3 puts it this way, 6.3-6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that is with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, 
so that we uh, would no longer be enslaved to sin. Um, right? Like there's, there's three sermons right in these verses, which I don't have time to do the whole thing. But just a quick summary. Um, it's, it's significant to note that, that he's describing here things that happened to us. That through the working of Christ on the cross, we were somehow crucified with Christ. This is not anything I did. I didn't like say, okay, God, I think I'm ready. You know, I can go be crucified with Jesus now. No, it, it happened. When, when we were saved, we were somehow connected with Jesus in his death, and we died with Christ. The old man, the old self, he calls it here, uh, was crucified with Jesus, it says. Verse 6, our old self, our old man was crucified with him, was put to death. And, and in that, we were set free. It was our exodus. Because the old man was uh, in bondage and slavery to sin. We could not help but sin because it was so controlled by sin. Uh, but, but it was crucified with Jesus. That was a work that God did for us. And it's our salvation. We, we are no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free. We, we have experienced our own exodus through what Jesus did. And we were forgiven by his blood. Right? Our sins were cleansed. It was washed away. And this, the power of of sin over our life was broken. That old person was put to death, uh, never to live again. Uh, but we also know that that does not mean that sin has no temptation for us. Anybody, anybody say amen to that? Does anybody ever struggle with temptation or sin? Anybody here? Anybody? I do, right? Like often. And, and, and the, the, the depressing thing is I kind of get victory over one sin in my life and God reveals to me something that I've I've been in so so controlled by I didn't even I didn't even see it. It's like oh man, so I got to wrestle with that one. And I start to get that one a little bit under control, and the first one pops back up again, right? And that that's kind of our life. Um, and and Paul describes that struggle, right? We were saved once, and sin was dealt with once, but uh, there is there is the process of gaining our inheritance, right? of doing what the Israelites were supposed to do, of driving out uh, sin from our life, of dealing with its power over our life every day. So in Romans 7, next chapter, Paul talks about that. He says, It is no longer I who, do, who sin, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Right, so the old man, which is our old nature, uh, was put to death. But guess what? This flesh still lives, which is a good thing, because when it stops living, right, game over, right? So, so the flesh still lives on, uh, and, and that's a problem for us. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do uh, what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, that is in my flesh. Right? We still deal with sin because uh, of this flesh. And so if we're going to take possession of the inheritance, we have to deal with the sin that's still resident in this flesh and its desires if we are going to take full possession of what God has for us. Well, how do we do that? Romans 8 gives us the answer. And again, I'm condensing about 15 sermons right here, five minutes. But this is what he says in Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right? The, the, the Israelites had to drive out their enemy. And we must do the same thing. And it's not something that God does on autopilot. Right? He's canceled his power over our life through the blood of the cross. But it's up, up to us to day by day, daily, be putting to death the desires of the flesh. Right? And until we do that, we will never take full possession of what Christ has for us. In fact, they will be, just like for Israel, they will be uh, um, thorns in our eyes, thorns in our flesh, and uh, barbs in our eyes that will cripple us in life. Uh, It will create trouble for us. He says, they shall be trouble for you in the land where you dwell. Right? Until we deal with and put to death daily the sin in our flesh, it will be trouble for us. Amen? Right? We know what this is like, right? We know the trouble it causes when we don't deal seriously with sin. Uh, the first generation of Israelites, uh, they were saved, but they never inherited the promises of God, right? They never entered the land. If we do not deal with uh, sin in our life, we may be saved, right? but we will not experience the blessing of what God has for us. So that's the first thing. uh, Driving out those enemies. Second thing. um, I call it claim claim every corner. Claim every part of the inheritance. Um, Chapter 34, uh, Moses, uh, through God, explains the dimensions of their land. Rather than reading it, I have a map, because this will just be a lot easier than listing off a bunch of places we don't know. So can we pull up the map? We have a map. Um, Essentially, it went from the Dead Sea across to the uh, Mediterranean, up the coast of the Mediterranean to the north, across off into the wilderness of what would be Damascus and back down to the Jordan River Valley. So basically the area there that's green. A couple observations about this. Um, it, It was an extensive area. Now, of course, given by modern times compared to modern countries, it was a it was a very very tiny place. But back in the day when people traveled on, mostly on foot, and, um, and nations were quite small, this this was a significant piece of real estate. In fact, it was so big that the Israelites never ever, even up to this day, uh, possessed all of it. Right. So even David and Solomon were never able to take full possession of what God had given them. There's a couple uh, things that that tells us. First of all, is that God is not cheap, right? God didn't give God, God, God did not say, "Well, all I can afford is this little 20-acre plot you're just going to have to squeeze into," right? He gave them a land that was vast and expansive, and that they could easily grow into, and would never become such a great nation that they would fill it. Right? Um, but it was also true, and also uh, it says that they were all to get a share. They were to divide it, and the chapter ends with listing the names of the tribal chiefs who would help divide it. And the picture was that everybody was to get a share. It was, it was big enough that it wasn't like, well, we ran out, sorry, tribe of, Ga- you know, well, tribe of uh, Dan, sorry, we ran out of land. Uh, you guys will just have to, I don't know, <laughs> rent from somebody else. No, that wasn't how it was going to work for them. Right, everybody got land. Everybody got a portion, and it was divided equally, so that everybody had a share. 
Uh, in chapter 35, it talks about the cities for the Levites. Um, and the Levites actually didn't get land because um, uh, they, they uh, had a different program, a different task and a different role. And so uh, they were provided for in two ways. First, their inheritance, it said, was the, was the tithes and offerings. Okay, so this is how it worked. The Israelites, all the other 12 tribes, they got land, and their job was to go out and farm and raise sheep and cattle and grow grapes and olives and, and, and produce, and they would harvest. Right? And then out of that, they were to give a tenth of their harvest and the firstborn to the Levites. Right? So, so what that meant is the Levites got a really pretty good deal. They didn't get land, but they also didn't have to work. They just got stuff given to them. Right? Not a bad inheritance. Right? They were provided for. They were supplied. But even more importantly than that, uh, God told them that they will not get land as inheritance because God himself would be their inheritance. Right? And, and no Israelite would have said, oh, well, they, they got kind of shortchanged. You know? They got God instead of land. <laughs> Nobody would say that. Right? God was infinitely better. And to, be, to have the privilege of drawing into God's presence and, and being near him and to say that God was, was their direct inheritance was a privilege. Uh, we are like a holy priesthood. Like the Levites, God is our inheritance. And where God may not have given us land, he's given us himself. Right? He has given us himself. But the question is, are we claiming all that God has promised to give us? Again, you know, the Israelites had this beautiful land, huge and enormous. They, they could not get to the end of it, right? So it is with God's blessings for us. We're never going to get to the end of God's blessings and God's going to say, oh, my goodness, you know, I ran out, right? right? We can never go deep enough into, into knowing him and knowing uh, the treasures that he has for us. Uh, the failure on our part, though, would be that we fail to keep sinking deeper into his blessing. Right? That we become complacent or content with what we have and we miss out on the treasures that God has for us. Um, third thing, uh, maintain holiness and purity. Uh, chapter 35, verse 9, let me read uh, this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel when you, and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, and you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And the cities that you shall give shall be uh, your six cities of refuge. You should give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. But if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. Uh, the murderer shall be put to death. And if he struck him down with a stone tool, that could cause death, and he died. He is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or, if he struck him down with a wooden tool that could cause death, and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. 
The avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. And if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him, lying in wait so that he died, or in enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. But if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him without lying in wait, or used a stone that could cause death, and without seeing him dropped it on him so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. And the congregation shall rescue the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge to which he had fled. And he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer shall at any time go beyond the boundaries of of his city of refuge to which he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the boundaries of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. For he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be for a statute and a rule for you throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. And you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land. And no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. Um, they, were, they were to set up six cities of refuge. Uh, and and, and uh, the way this worked is that uh, uh, human life is, is, is extremely precious to God. And the point was that um, if anybody died at the hands of another, uh, there were to be consequences. And, and uh, a person, if they were... Uh, killed unintentionally, they could flee to the city of refuge. And the way it worked is um, there was was some kind of trial to determine intent. If it was decided that it was uh, intentional, it was murder. And the murderer uh, had to pay with their own life. But if it was accidental, uh, he was considered a manslayer, not a murderer. Uh, But he also lost his freedom. He lost his freedom and he had to remain in the um, city of refuge, uh, interestingly, until the high priest died. Uh, And and it's very clear. He says there is no atonement except for this. The atonement of the murderer uh, was his own blood. Uh, And he was to be avenged by the avenger of blood. Interestingly, the avenger of blood is the same exact word in Hebrew as the kinsman redeemer. 
It was the next of kin who was responsible to protect and reclaim loss for the family. Uh, And they were to uh, make atonement on the land by taking the life of the murderer. I'm thinking I would not want to be a kinsman redeemer. (laughs) Uh, But that was their responsibility. And it was a way that the land was atoned for, that sin was dealt with. What's really interesting in this passage is it says that if you were innocent, if you accidentally killed somebody, you know, you throw a rock off a building and actually hit somebody on the head and they die, and you didn't intend it, you were still guilty of, of the death of that person, even though it was an accident. Right? There was still atonement that had to be made. And you could flee to the city of refuge or you would stay uh, until the high priest died. Um, and and the, the very life of the high priest became your atonement. Right? So if you kill somebody accidentally, you lost your freedom. You were in essence a prisoner uh, and you could not leave that a city of refuge. But you were set free by the death of the high priest. A great picture of Jesus, our great high priest, right? Who set us free by his own death. Right? Um, and it's a picture, the point of all this is that uh, God says, for I dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. The application for us is this, you and I are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? We are the temple of God. God himself dwells in our midst. And if we want to take full possession of the land, just as Israel, it's vitally important that we maintain holiness in our life. Uh, we do that, as we said, by pursuing uh, carefully uh, the, the chasing out of the idols and sin in our life. Uh, but it also means that when we do sin, we seek appropriate atonement. And praise God for us, you know, for the murderer who killed somebody, there was no atonement but their own blood, right? But for us, there's atonement for every sin in Jesus. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right? It doesn't mean that we never sin, but it means that we take appropriate actions to apply Jesus' blood so that we remain a holy temple to God. Uh, confession should be a serious and daily part of our life where we apply his blood and its cleansing power over our life. Last thing, the daughters of, what's his face? Daughters of Zelophehad. There it is, Zelophehad. Um, i got to have Jessica can we practice up on my Hebrew. Um, bookends of this section, uh, uh, they had come to Moses earlier in chapter 27 because they, uh, their father died and they had no brothers. They said, look, our family's good. My dad's going to get kind of cheated because he's not going to get an inheritance. We think that we should be able to get an inheritance to carry on our father's name. And Moses prayed about it and God said, yes, that's correct. But now this has raised another problem. And... Uh, the members of his tribe, uh, the, the, uh, the tribe of Manasseh, come to Moses and say, hey, look, okay, here's a problem. Yeah, you said these girls could have land. That's all well and good. But they're going to get married. And then the land is going to transfer from our tribe to the tribe of their husband. And if this happens often, pretty soon our inheritance is going to disappear. And, and Moses, in verse 5, he says, Moses commanded the people of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of Joseph is right. 
This is what the Lord commands the daughters of daughters of I cannot say that Zelophehad. Um, let them marry whom they think best. Literally, let them marry the guy that looks really good to them. Let them marry some really handsome dude. That's what he says. But they shall only marry the handsome dudes within their clan, within their tribe, right? Um, because uh, the inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another. For every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe. Right? Hold on to your inheritance. Um, it says, yeah, it's good that, that the women have a place. Like, and it's significant that the Bible honors women, and that they have a right and a claim to, to their inheritance just like their brothers uh, in, in a family where, they, where there was no sons to pass it on. He said you've got to be careful that you don't uh, lose your inheritance. Hold on to it. Um, same is true for us. Right? God has given you and I an, an inheritance. Uh, do you want that inheritance? Right? Do we have any idea what God has stored up for us? I don't think we do. Right? I think for us the problem is we really think and we set our eyes on the things of this world and we can't imagine that the treasures of this world could possibly be better than what God has for us. Right? That new iPhone 17. <laughs> it is. Okay, not that. No, no, it's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. Just give it a couple years. Right? Like, how could, how could anything God has be as good as that? Right? And it sounds silly. And yet we set our heart and our affection on the things of this world. And so Jesus warns us, and he tells us how we can hold on to um, our inheritance in Matthew. Um, this inheritance is held for us in heaven that, that Peter talks about. This incorruptible, eternal, eternal inheritance. And here's the thing is, you know, uh, we can get excited about iPhone 17, but do you remember how excited you were about iPhone 5? which is now an antique. Like, they put those in museums now, right? They're so old, right? And, and how quickly all that passes. The inheritance that God has for us is eternal, incorruptible. It doesn't fade, right? And how do we, how do we make sure that we have that inheritance? Matthew 6, Jesus says this. Uh, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, and where you know, iOS's operating systems become outdated. Right? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The thing is, in order to hold on to the inheritance that God has for us, we have got to let go of the things of this world. Jesus says here you can't have both. You can't love and set your affection and build up treasures here on earth and have treasures in heaven. He says to, do, to store up treasures in heaven, you have to let go of worldly things. You have to live with different goals and priorities. You have to value and love different things. You have to set your heart on a different treasure. Right? If the Israelites were going to take the, the land, they needed to treasure that more than camping out on the wrong side of the Jordan River. Right? 
Um, one of the greatest challenges, I think, of the Christian life is not dealing with the present, because we know about the present. We, we know about the past. We know what God has done to bring us here. We know where we are. Now, one of the hardest things for me is to look forward to the eternal future. Right? I remember as a kid in high school watching uh, the 2001 Space Odyssey, imagining that that was so infinitely far away it would never get there. And that's going to be like 20 years ago now here pretty soon, right? 2001. It's ancient history, right? It's hard for us to fathom the future, right? But, but if we are to take possession of God's inheritance, we have to have a future-focused life, right? that believes what God has for us in eternity is so much greater and it's worth sacrificing for here. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.